It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Tuesday, May the 29th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we landed the biggest fish in Locked On Dolphins history. That's right. Jeff Darlington of ESPN joins the podcast to discuss a laundry list of topics, including the Jarvis Landry saga, Coach Gaze's impact, and of course, Ryan Tannehill. But first, I have to remind you guys, go ahead and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at WingfulNFL. Vote the best follow on Dolphins Twitter and follow the show at Locked On Fins and check out the number one rated blog in the Locked On Network, LockedOnDolphins.com. And of course, last but not least, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. I don't want to waste any time on this podcast. Let's go ahead and get right into it. That's another Miami Dolphins And I'm honored to be joined now by former Dolphins beat writer at the Miami Herald, formerly of the NFL Network and currently at ESPN, Jeff Darlington. Jeff, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, no problem. No problem at all. Good talking to you, too. Yeah, of course. So you followed a pretty impressive lineage of local South Florida writers to make the jump from local to national media. And I wanted to ask you, do you ever miss, I guess, the the intimacy is the word I want to choose for that, of being so close to a team and the day-to-day operations of that one team? A little bit. I mean... The good news is I live down here um, in Fort Lauderdale, so it, I, it it allows me a little bit to sort of maintain some of the uh, the proximity and closeness that I had with the team when I covered it, but <laughs> this sounds ridiculous, but the nice part is, uh, and I know you don't want to hear this, but like when I'll go cover something with the Dolphins that's like dramatic and like kind of negative, after I'm leaving and I'm driving away, I always feel like damn, it's kind of nice that I don't have to go back to that tomorrow. <laughs> so, but, but from, from a positive standpoint, like I, I, I do want to see them succeed um, because I do like all the people down here. A lot of people always ask me what my favorite team is. Um, but, and my answer is always like, I really don't truly have a favorite team because I, I've been doing sports reporting for so long since like the first day of high school that I, that I sort of lost it. I became desensitized to sort of the fandom of sports pretty quickly. But because I'm, I was down here and I covered the team for right out of college, it was my first job um, down here in South Florida and covered the team for two papers. Like this is the team that I'm most connected to in terms of like a, I don't know, I'm around the people, I'm around the guys in the community. So it's not my favorite team per se, but it's definitely the team that I'm 
most interested following. And I was going to ask you, because you guys work in in an industry, obviously, where fans are bred into professionals. And I was always curious, because you guys do such a good job on the air of making it, at least in my eyes, unknown to what your rooting interests are. (laughs) Is that, is that commonplace? Like, do you guys walk around the, the campus, like, kind of keeping that to yourself? Or is it like kind of a, a mesh of fans? Or how does that whole thing work? A lot of guys do. A lot of guys, I think, just keep it um, subdued. More, some more than others, um, and some better than others. I'm a little bit more of an interesting case study because I swear to God, I don't care. <laughs> it doesn't. And uh, part of, like I can tell you my favorite teams of my life, but even as a kid, like I was always really interested in like the story more so than the team. Like, I was just always into sports reporting, like I said, like, since the first day of, of, uh, of high school. But I, like, I was in New Jersey for the first 11, 12 years of my life. So, like, I felt a connection to the 86 and 90 Giants because I was up there and I enjoyed that memory of standing in someone's living room, holding hands as a family, watching Scott Norwood miss that field goal. Uh, so the Giants won. So, like, I mean, I, I have that sense of – I have the ability to be a fan – but for some reason, I never latched on a team. Like, my one of my favorite teams growing up was um, the Raiders because I loved Bo Jackson and Tecmo Bowl. <laughs> so, like, it's really weird why I've always picked the teams that I've liked. Uh, I kind of like the Bucks because I went to high school in the St. Pete area. But generally speaking, like, I, I, I truly – I'm not hiding it. Like, I really do um, – I really cheer more for good people than good teams. Like, I like – I like picking out um, guys that I really enjoy being around who are good people on and off the field. And those are generally the people I like to, to watch and succeed and root for. Well, let's talk about some of those guys then. And before I do that, I got to mention that I was terrible at Tecmo Bowl because I always chose the Dolphins. And I felt like if you didn't, <laughs> have, if you didn't have a running back in that game, because I tried to throw with Marino, I would just throw pick after pick because I was trying to force the ball. Right. So, who, yeah. was, who, was the, who was the Dolphins running back in Tecmo Bowl at that point? I oh, don't even remember. I, that, was, that was pre-Cream Abdul-Jabbar days. I know that. Might have been like yeah. uh, Parmalee, Bernie Parmalee or something. <laughs> You basically just had to be, what was it, the Bears with Singletary yeah. and you could stop anybody or the Raiders with Bo yeah. or uh, Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, and Chris, Christian Okoye was pretty good too. Yeah, yeah. The Nigerian yeah. nightmare. But talk, talking about kind of some of those personal guys that you like to cover their stories and, and that kind of makes you a fan of them, let's go ahead and unpack some of the stuff that surrounded the Dolphins this past season and what was, as a fan for me, the most tumultuous season in Dolphins history. And I, I guess we can kind of start with like Jarvis Landry and Dominican Sue. And I, you had that feature with Landry last year, sitting down to breakfast with him and, and talking about whatever it was that was going on at the time with the Dolphins. But how would you describe that relationship between Landry and the Dolphins and kind of where it all went wrong or just the overall locker room remake they went through this this offseason? Yeah, first of all, that was a very good question. I don't want to hijack it. But did you just say somewhere in there that this was the most tumultuous Dolphins season ever? I, I guess 2007 would qualify. Yes! <laughs> Wait, how, how, wait, how old are you? I'm 30. You're four, 30 or 40? 30. 30. So, like, the you're basically, like, past, like, your, your adult uh, existence as a Dolphins fan. Like, every year has been probably more tumultuous than the next feeling, seemingly. Yeah, pretty much. But think about that. That two, 2007, and we'll get to your question. That 2007 year, though, Keith Trailer. Got into a fight on the team charter 
<laughs> on the way home from a game. Joey Porter undressed Cam Cameron in a team meeting room, to, and Cam Cameron like didn't even know how to respond, and people just like walked out on him. Like that, they went one in fifteen, and when they beat the Ravens, it was like they won the Super Bowl. Like that was the worst season ever. Can I tell you a re- of- can I tell you a really sad story about that season? Yeah. When I was younger, I was before the DVR, before I had DVR, so I VHS recorded all the games, and somewhere in a box, in a garage, I don't know where it is, exist the 16 Dolphins <laughs> games from 2007. <laughs> Dude, that, that season, covering that season was miserable. Yeah. Like, I understand, like, a lot of things happened this past year, and, and there's no question it's up there, because there was such weird stuff with Furster and, and uh, Lawrence Timmons and the Hurricane and all that stuff. But that year in 2007 with Cam Cameron, out of the gates, by the way, um, having dissension with Jason Taylor, like there was, I mean, there was crap pretty much every week that year, but um, where was I going with that? Oh, you would basically go in the locker room to cover a story. And by like, by like when they were, oh, and like, what they, they went up winning in like week 13, I think they beat the Ravens. But, but, but when they were like, oh, and 11, oh, and 12, you would walk in there and just say, look, dude, like. I get it. I don't want to ask these questions. You don't want to answer them. It was it was like a covering a funeral every single day. It was awful. So like, do not for do not okay. be the, the do not be the uh, the hostage of, of recent history here. That was the worst year. Hey, fair ever. enough. Fair enough. I'm just but, coming. I'm coming off the idea that we actually had some hope going into last year. They they retained a lot of their free agents. Right. Ryan Tannehill's coming back. The, the once Ryan Tannehill went down was when it all kind of went south. So that's right. I mean, and, and that's the thing. Like. As much as people wanted to maybe understate Ryan's potential impact on the team, um, I, I think that that, that might have been the most misguided, misguided um, notion that anybody could have had uh, about that season. And, and, like, and, and it also, and I'm a victim of this. Like, I fell victim to the thought that I thought that Jay Cutler, I, I will admit guilt on this. I know a lot of people were right about this and I was wrong. I thought Jay Cutler could come in and do an admirable job because he knew Gase's system so well. And maybe I trusted Gase a little bit too much on that because I really, I really do believe in him. Um, but I think he, he would even admit that, that ultimately probably should have just gone with Matt Moore in that situation. But Ryan Tannehill's that injury. I mean, that's something the season, the day that he got hurt, I told the story before, the day before he got hurt, I was out actually out there at practice. It was like one of the really only practices I, I was out there for. And and Gase came over to me and said, I've got 17, meaning Tannehill, I've got 17 playing like a monster, like a bleeping monster right now. And like, I, I mean, dude, I saw it in Gase's eyes. Like he had Tannehill exactly where he wanted him to be. So the next day when Tannehill went down, like, dude, like you talk about, how I'm not invested in teams just because of that conversation with Gase. I was crushed for Tannehill. Like I, I, I was, I felt so bad for him because I knew that he felt like this was finally going to be the year when he showed people what his worth was. So that in itself, you can take all the other stuff that happened after it. But if Ryan Tannehill is out there, Furster's um, cocaine <laughs> video is a big deal, but not as big of a deal. Lawrence Timmons being AWOL is a big deal, not a, as big of a deal. The hurricane is a big deal. The collection of those things, still a difficult challenge, but nothing as difficult as overcoming the loss of Tannehill. Especially when you're pulling a guy off of basically the beach to come in and, and live in a hotel and, and learn the offense that way. and learn. And- not to mention a guy in Jay Cutler who, like, 
like I, I actually I, I spent some time early in the season with Jay and liked him more than I thought I would because I never really knew him. And uh, I spent time with him, and his personality is exactly what you think it's going to be. It's, I mean, he's dry, but his sense of humor is actually pretty awesome. It's it's pretty funny to like sit there and talk to him. But like at the same time, like when Chad Pennington came in in two thousand eight, at like the same time because I can't remember what happened, why they needed to go that route. They just didn't have a quarterback or something. It was John but, Beck. It was the the, the, the two thousand seven holdover of John Beck, and, and and I think it was Josh McCown at the time were competing for so the job. So neither guy. That's right. <laughs> It was just an upgrade. But when Pennington came in, like, he came in and, and took over that locker room in a way that it needed to happen. Like, they didn't have anything going, and he came in and did that. And in this instance, like, as much as Jay might have been able to understand the offense, he wasn't going to come in and take over. The, and it takes a special person. Like, Chad Pennington is the best leader I've ever been around. It takes a special person to do that, to come in after a demoralizing injury. And, and Cutler was just not going to be the guy to do that. And I think that's my, that might be the biggest, um, the most understated aspect of that situation that, at least in my eyes, I, I probably underrated. Yeah, especially when you kind of want to gravitate towards that guy to lead you onto the field and that's do right. certain things. And so. he was, he's just not that guy. Yeah. He's just not that guy. It didn't work out. I think Gaze has kind of come to a, a mea culpa on that, realizing it didn't work out. But we have a lot more to unpack here with ESPN's Jeff Darlington. But first, let's talk about the one thing we all think about more than football. Of course, that's sex. Now you can increase your confidence and perform like a franchise quarterback in bed. Listen up, guys. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. That's blue, not red. BlueChew.com. You can pop them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you break the huddle and are ready to go whenever the moment strikes. BlueChew is prescribed online and ships direct to your door in a discreet package. No more in-person doctor's visits. No more waiting in the pharmacy. And best of all, no more uncomfortable and awkward conversations. They're made in the USA and BlueChew prepares and ships direct so they are cheaper than in a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment for free when using special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Enter promo code Locked On and try it for free today. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, and faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
And back in the Locked On Dolphins podcast here, we're talking with ESPN's Jeff Darlington. And Jeff, you said something on the other side that I, I just got really giddy about hearing, and I wanted to get you to kind of <laughs> elaborate on it a little bit more. And you mentioned that Adam Gaze approached you last offseason and said that he's got Ryan Tannehill right where he wants him. He's playing at a level that is perfect with his scheme and everything that goes into that. Yeah. Do you think that that could be regurgitated this year? Yeah, 100%. I mean, look, like, uh, every... I, Going into the NFL draft this past year, I, I don't know if the fans also wanted it or if they were just feeding off of the, the misguided media narrative that was kind of actually being fueled more by, you know, the draft Knicks out there that just kind of don't, I don't know, like, I, I don't get it. Like, why, Ryan, I mean, I understand fans down here get frustrated with Tannehill too, but I don't understand why, it, not only do people just not know him, they decide because they don't know him and the team hasn't had success that he's just not good. And like all these draft picks coming in saying like dolphins are going to draft a quarterback and they'll maybe move up to get one. It was like, they don't know how Gaze feels about Tannehill. Like he thinks that this guy has it. And, uh, and quite frankly, like since he came in, like, you know, I think he wanted, I think Gaze wanted, Ryan, and this is one of the things that he was working on with him, um, you can't necessarily teach leadership to the fullest extent. Like I was saying, like with Chad Pennington, like that is a God-given gift that he had since birth and was raised to be a leader. Like I think that's really been instilled in him, but he had it. With Ryan, it's pretty late in the game to try to teach leadership, but Adam was doing a really good job of, of, if not teaching him leadership, empowering him in a way that he could step up and command a room uh, the way he needed to, because he's got everything else and he really truly does. So Gase felt like he had him not only to a place where he understood his offense and could do all the things that Gase wanted him to do, but also to the point where he was going to be able to step in that locker room and act like a badass. And so coming into this off season, I really didn't expect the team to draft a quarterback high. I thought they'd take one at some point because it's just prudent and, 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 you, and you should. And uh, that might, we'll see. I mean, I don't necessarily agree with that draft strategy of not taking one at all, but I didn't think they were taking one to replace Tannehill. They believe that he is the guy and, uh, and any perception that was out there uh, negating that was, was wrong, to be honest. And then once you go over the roster and the, and the rest of the draft and what they did, you realize that it was basically take one of those mid-round quarterbacks that, let's face it, you're taking the seventh or eighth best guy overall on the entire mm-hmm. draft class, and then you're going to sacrifice like a Mike Gusecki or a Jerome Baker who figure to come in and have a pretty big impact from year one. I mean, I guess, like, like I'm with you on that, but I, I do subscribe to the theory that you've got to take some shots on quarterbacks. Because, I mean, and, and really when you do look like at the history of these quarterbacks and, and I'm not just pointing to Tom Brady in the sixth round or Russell Wilson wasn't he third in the third round. Like there's a lot of good quarterbacks that were taken um, after the second round. So I do think you do have to take a shot on a guy. Uh, I also understand that they're trying to build, you know, create, create a roster that really fits what they're trying to accomplish. So you, you can't have it both ways, but um, you know, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have, I certainly wouldn't have criticized it if they did take a shot on a quarterback in like, you know, the third or fourth round, but, but that's cool. I mean, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I just think that they weren't going to take one with that topic, unless it was Baker, because 
Fucking gays love Baker. And I, I would have been okay with that. I, I love Baker Mayfield myself. And, and Jeff, I'm a, I don't know if you've seen any of my stuff on Twitter, but I'm a huge Ryan Tannehill proponent. I chart quarterbacks, and I, I, I go through his games, and I, I chart you know the, the misfires, the drop passes, whatever mm-hmm. it may be, everything that goes into playing quarterback, I chart it, I take videos, everything about his game I know pretty well. And yeah. to me, he, he makes maybe two or three errors per game where I can say that was the quarterback's fault. He missed that yeah. read. He missed that throw. The rest is... You know, I, I, I hate playing the blame game, but it's the offensive line breaking down. It's the guys not running the right landmarks on their routes. Whatever it is, he's just up there with all the other quarterbacks because people don't want to admit that Tom Brady makes mistakes or Aaron Rodgers makes mistakes. <laughs> and I know Tannehill's not those guys, but he's not making these game-crushing mistakes that people seem to think that he always does. No, I mean, honestly, let's put it this way. Like, you want to get down and dirty? I guarantee you that... If Tom Brady were to retire uh, in two years and the Dolphins decided they were done with Tannehill and the Patriots couldn't find, like, the, the guy in the draft that they wanted, Bill Belichick would go after him in a heartbeat. Like, this guy is a soldier. He is an athlete. He has all the throws in his arsenal. Like, he, he has it, man. Like, I'm, I, it, it, he, the fact that he's a soldier can kind of – I think steer people to think that he's not a leader and, and there is some truth to that. Like that's my one fear with Ryan, you know, he's not Dan Marino. He's not going to step in the huddle and tell everybody, Hey, you know, F off. We're, we're, we're going deep and we're winning this game right now. And, and that might be the thing that maybe drives people a little nuts. But uh, in this game right now, if you can have a quarterback who's an extension of the coaching staff and enough of a good guy, that guys around him will like him if he plays well, that's, that's what you need. That's what you want. Really look around the league. Like it's not, a, it's not like it was in the eighties where it was Elway and Marino and Kelly, where those guys were kind of just like slinging it and, you know, being the, being more of an extension of the, 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 the locker room. I really believe that you want a quarterback now who is a little bit more of an extension of the coaching staff with the ability to make those throws. And Tannehill is that guy. It does seem like he's kind of had that Adam Gaze effect wear off on him because early in his career, he was more of like a ho-hum, kind of a nice kid. And now you kind of see him with a little bit more charged up and a little bit more energy, at least when he talks to the media and just what we have available to us. Obviously, you know him better than us. But and you talked about like, you know, getting in someone's face and grabbing a face mask. Obviously, Dan Marino was the, the guy that did that. There was a game last year with the Bucks and Falcons and Matt Ryan right. was famous for saying, get fucking set to his teammate. Yep. And I saw Matt, I saw Ryan Tannehill doing the same thing in 2016. So I, I just don't think that there's really that big of a disconnect there. So that kind of parlays into a really good topic I wanted to ask you about, Jeff. In yeah. regards to Adam Gaze, his vision for this roster, he's talked about the fact that he finally has the roster he wants and how he can attack teams with different looks, different personnel groupings. Do you buy that vision? Do you think that some of the stuff from last year, let's get back into that Landry and Sue stuff. Do you think that that had a negative impact, a positive impact? Like where do you put this team after all the stuff that's gone on with them and their negative national uh, perception right now? Well, I, I think that the team is closer to what Gase uh, wants. And one of the things that, that um, maybe was a little bit misleading and, 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 and uh, Gase is guilty of maybe uh, fueling this narrative on, um, and realizing it after the fact. But, like, he's not, ch- he's not changing the culture. Like, everybody keeps saying culture change, culture change, and I think Gase at one point even did this, but you'll notice that he hasn't since. He's not changing the culture. He knew what he wanted the culture to be when he got here, but he's got to fit the players to that culture as opposed to trying to force those players into that. 
And there were guys on this roster, whether it be Landry or Sue, those guys included, um, not as much Pouncey, although that I feel like we, we could, that's a different kind of a different deal. But but when when it, you need guys like Gase's culture is such that you need guys that when things get down and you're trying to grind through things and the grind is something that he wants guys to to truly um, not only just deal with, but but to grab hold of and. Um, you don't want moment. You don't want you don't want guys that when things start to go south. And this is what I worry about with the Rams. Like I think they're kind of boomer bust, and Sue is part of this because if things go south at all from the beginning, you can't get those guys to rally. And I, that was like, I think with Sue and Landry, like you know, when things go south, guys guys tend to get a little bit selfish. And that was what that was exactly what would happen with Jay Ajayi. Uh, it would happen with Sue for sure. I don't want to say it would happen as much with, with Landry because he was like this passionate guy, but maybe overly passionate at, at those moments to where you kind of need even keeled guys who are going to come in there and they're going to grind and they're going to say, we're not going to let this happen and we're going to stick together. And that to me is the culture that Gase has expected. And those were not necessarily the players to do that. Now you look at guys like Josh Sitton, Amendola, um, uh, uh, Who's who's the other one I'm thinking of right now? Um, Albert Wilson or Dan Kilgore? No, not not Wilson. Kilgore a little bit, but um, uh, Robert Quinn. Um, and there's one other one that I'm really thinking of that I can't uh, stop the tip of my tongue. But but you want those kind of guys who can come in there and uh, and really just keep the momentum going where it needs to go. I'm guessing it was Frank Gore's who we're talking about. Frank Gore, yeah. that's it. <laughs> I'm looking at my exactly. roster right here. I couldn't figure. I mean, it out. that's the ultimate. That's the ultimate guy who, like, you, you, if you get guys like Landry, um, just being a little too much, you know, at those moments, a guy like Frank Gore is going to look at you in a way that sits you down and uh, and get and get you ready, you know, get you focused, get you in that mode, and uh, and those are the kind of soldiers that that I think Adam Gase is looking for right now. What about guys like Cameron Wake that were there that have seen this entire last, mm-hmm. you know, half decade, decade, almost full decade now play out and, and seen all the trash and all the garbage that has gone on, whether it was the bullying incident, whether it was, you know, Tony Sperano and mm-hmm. having Jim Harbaugh be chased while Sperano was still the head coach, all the kind of disasters that have gone on around the Dolphins. I mean, do guys like that have a bigger say? Like, why wasn't he more vocal or more able to step up and say something? I don't know. Um, Cam is an interesting one to me. He is a leader through example. And quite honestly, that's sort of my point. I, I mean, that, like, you don't want those other guys even around. You don't want to even have to have Frank Gore do that kind of a thing. But if it comes to it, he can. Like, if it, if it was a matter of doing that, they'd keep Landry and let those guys sort of settle him down. But I think you have to create the culture and then add those pieces as opposed to expect to be able to shut those guys down after they've been here for a while. Cam is not. Cam is the type of soldier that fits into that that makeup, um, but but not necessarily the kind of guy who's like gonna fix it either. Uh, I mean, he's a he's a beast. He's a game changing player that you want to have around. I just think that he's part of the puzzle, uh, and and if if you can get a locker room full of those guys and then add into the mix maybe a little bit heavier of a personality. Um, which is what the Patriots do, by the way, mm-hmm. you know, they've got their culture set in place to where if you come in there and try to disrupt that or disturb it, you're going to be an outcast really fast, but you can't, you can't bring in a new coach and expect him 
to do that with guys that are already there. I mean, I, I think that that's why this is such a process, um, albeit a very frustrating one to the Dolphins fan base. And if, if Gaze comes from that kind of Saban background, that Saban lineage, which yeah. also reflects off of the Bill Belichick tree, we've heard about how Bill Belichick will just rake Tom Brady over the coals in a meeting, talking about how the high schooler down the street can make that throw. Is that something that Adam Gaze kind of has built into his temperament and his philosophy, mm-hmm. or is he a little bit more mm-hmm. player-friendly? No, Gaze is not an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I should have said, I just, it's easier, just a couple words I could have said that, I guess. Yeah. Um, no, it's different. It's different. And Bill Belichick, obviously, his, his philosophy, I mean, has worked. Like, Belichick is a general that leads through discipline and, um, and making, putting everybody in their place. I, Gase is a little bit more um, adjusting. And I actually think that's a good, a good um, character trait at this point in, uh, in where we're at in the NFL, with players having more individualism to them because of whether it be social media or just the the ability to be transparent and, and have these different kind of mediums so that fans know them better and they want to be out there more. Like, I think you have to have more of the temperament that Gase does have. Uh, now, he's a, he's clearly capable of, of saying, I'm not dealing with this bullshit, but, um, but he's not the guy who's going to mock Tannehill in a practice yeah. Um, at least not without Tannehill being on board with it to try to put him in a different place. I, he's not that kind of a coach, but he, he still is a, a general. Like you can have different kinds of generals who are going to lead their soldiers into battle. And, and I do think that he is the kind of guy who, who can get his guys in line, maybe more through, um, I don't, friendship's not the right word. He just does a really good job of walking the line between being a disciplinarian and a player's coach. And I think that that's a quality that's good to have right now in 2018. And I guess that mentality that Belichick has is a lot easier when you have five Lombardis in your back pocket. You can kind of approach it with the, yeah. the, the success behind it. So A little they, bit, but you know what? Like, I mean, I think we're starting to see this with Belichick right now. I mean, I, and, I, it, and it has worked. Um, but... I, I mean, I kind of think that, that ultimately a little bit of the downfall, downfall is the wrong word because everything comes to an end. And I think it's a little bit uh, sensational to try to say that the Patriots are suddenly dealing with yeah. their downfall. It's more of, you know, it definitely is coming to its end. And part of that, they could probably extend it for a little bit longer if Belichick would adjust to his personnel a little bit more and realize that, you know, Tom is a 40-year-old man right now and he needs to be he treated differently than he was at 23 um, Belichick doesn't necessarily want to make those adjustments at this point. And I think that will hurt the Patriots, but, um, but it'd be impossible to say that what Belichick does hasn't worked because at one point it certainly did. Well, we talked about me being a 30 year old fan. I am ready for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick to go away <laughs> so I can see a AFC East title maybe once in my lifetime. It seems yeah. like, Hey, wait, you got an AFC I, Yeah, we, we got one. Then we got the four pick game from Chad Pennington right after that. So it was, it was quickly, uh, yeah, it was <laughs> quickly deflated to use the, the right term there, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. so talking about Adam Gaze and I've, I've spoken with some other guys. I don't know if you're familiar with Simon Clancy. He's, he covers yeah. uh, football yeah. over on, on the other side of the pond and he had came on the podcast a while back and talked about how. Stephen Ross views Adam Gaze as his Don Shula. Like he's not going anywhere anytime soon. He has ultimate job security. So my mm-hmm. question to you is what is like the, one of the big things that the media asks questions about is the, the structure of this front office and how it all works together and how it all manifests into the product we see on Sundays. It, what's, what's the, 
the trust level there between Ross and Gaze, between Ross and Tannenbaum, between Ross and Greer, is it all a happy family or how? No. (laughs) No, I mean, I don't want to go down too far of a rabbit hole here, but like, first of all, Gaze does not have ultimate job security right now. Um, And it's not, that's not to say that he's on the hot seat either. So it's, it's not, it's not either or, but, but he needs to, the goodwill that he earned after the first season definitely was diminished with kind of everything in the second season and not necessarily at the fault of Gase, but at the frustration of Ross and um, Ross is very much still in, in Gase's corner. He wants him to succeed so badly because he does see the potential in Adam, but it's not, it's just not as simple. Like it is a very nuanced situation right now. It's not as simple as an owner saying, I've got the young coach who's going to get it done. He does believe in him, but I think this past year definitely was a little bit demoralizing to Ross. In fact, I know it was. And um, what he thought he had in the next Don Shula after that first year from Gase uh, was, was provided pause due to what I would call a lot of unforced, or a lot of um, unforced errors. Um, but there were things that, that Adam did, you know, there's stuff like Chris Furster, like, like that decision to hire Chris Furster when you probably should have known there was some shit there, you know? <laughs> and, and, uh, and that, that could be frustrating to, to Ross. Now, does that mean that Gase is not the answer? I, it, if Gase gives up, if, if Ross gives up on Gase, like you want to talk about regret for the Dolphins, Gase will go somewhere and win. Like mm-hmm. he's, he's got it. So I personally believe that Gase is the guy, but I don't think it's as 100% Ross is sitting here saying like, I've got my next Don Shula ultimate job security as it once was. Um, to your, to your other point, Adam Gase and Chris Greer have an unbelievable relationship. They're, they are in this thing. Um, where things stand with Mike Tannenbaum, like, I, I mean, I, I, go, I go to a lot of different places with this. Like, they, they're all working together, and, it, and it's, it's, it's fine, you know? Like, they, they really are, um, they are working together. I just don't know personally that Gase and Greer... Um, couldn't just do it themselves. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. That's why I was wondering if, if it didn't go well this this year, can you point to a certain scapegoat? It just seemed like there's a guy ready to take the fall. I think Gates learned a lot from this past year um, in understanding um, the, the whole... Gates is awesome, man. Like, you, you want to be around him. He's infectious. He's, he's um, in, in, a, in a locker room setting. He wants to just be there. He wants to grind. He wants to win more than anything. Like, He's the guy you want to be your football coach for sure. Um, but, but he definitely learned a lot this past year. I think from the standpoint that like, you know, like an owner is a fan and like, he's going to get frustrated like fans do. And, and you, you've got to like explain things to him. And, and, um, and I think that, that Adam definitely understands that and that will serve him very well. Where that leads ultimately is going to be predicated. It's going to be dictated by, the success of the season. I mean, here's the thing, like, in my opinion, if Adam wins, if the team wins, Adam is the one who, who earns the power and gains the power and can decide whether if, you know, it's just, you know, if, if he can, he's going to get more say so. Um, if he loses, I think Tannenbaum's going to point 
to Adam and say, hey, look, this guy wanted to make all these decisions this offseason. This is on him. And if that happens, that's where dissension exists and occurs. Um, and that's what I would watch for. That's what scares me a little bit about the current hierarchy. Um, I think Greer and Gase are definitely in this thing together. Um, you know, the rest is going to be kind of interesting to see how it plays out. And a, a little bit, you know, and I, I want to warn right now, I'm not trying to like try to paint this picture of a, of a bad family. It's not. It's just, I don't know, there's just some little vulnerabilities in there that's going to be very interesting to see how things play out, um, especially if the team doesn't get off too fast. Or. Yeah, it's just something that winning can cure like it does everything else. And speaking of that's that, right. we have one more segment here with Jeff on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast. You can follow him at Jeff Darlington. You can follow me at Wingfield NFL and the show at Lockdown Fins. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. On the other side of the podcast, Jeff, we talked about kind of how winning is going to set you free, for lack of a better term. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, I mean, you have, obviously you go to different ballparks every single Sunday and cover different teams and different games. And the Dolphins, we talked about me being 30 years old and the fact that I grew up in the 90s when they were on Monday night every other week, it seemed like. And that's how I became a fan. I'm not even from the South Florida area. That's how I became a fan of the Dolphins. So they were always a Monday night primetime. They were always winning those games. They were a, a national fixture. And now you go back to last year, they get these three primetime games in a row on the three different networks. They go Thursday night, Sunday night, mm-hmm. Monday night, and they lay an egg in all three of those. The ratings are terrible. And my question to you is, outside of the obvious, the winning, how can the Dolphins kind of get back into the good graces of these networks? Because I've heard that like Sunday night football, for instance, doesn't want anything to do with the Dolphins. No. We, I mean... Winning. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I mean, look, look at like, it's not, it, and it is, it is a little bit about star power, but you know, like if, if Ryan wins, for instance, like he'll, this team will all of a sudden have a little bit of something to them. Like, I, and, and like you look at the Broncos, like they're kind of a, a market where like, remember they were like, when Peyton was there, they were on prime time, like every week. And of course that is that there's a Peyton Manning factor there. I'm not trying to dismiss that, but then when they're not as hot, like they're not, uh, they're not like a network. Like there's some markets that are going to get those time slots, no matter what the Cowboys, the Redskins. um, I mean, you know, they they weren't great, but they're going to get those. The other markets that are not the biggest, but still big, like Miami need to kind of like work their way into, into, those uh, by being a relevant, successful team. 
Um, and, and that's the case for the Dolphins. But I will tell you this. The brand, um, the Dolphins brand is quietly becoming, like, really cool again. Like, it's not cheesy. It was going through a little bit of a run there where it kind of felt, like, lame and, like, stuck in the 80s still mm-hmm. and not, like, updated. And, you know, you'd go to the stadium and it'd be, like, kind of those, I don't know, man. It was just, it was, they were just trying too hard. And it's like, this is Miami, you know? Like, where's, like, the, the swag that this market has? And the stadium renovation suddenly, you go in there and you're like, wow, this place is badass. I mean, I can't tell you how many media would come into the stadium having not, like, at some of the games that I was at, some of the bigger games, um, the few that, that existed, <laughs> where, 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 I mean, uh, the Patriots even, like, I was there with some, some, some uh, high-profile people who were looking around saying, man, this place is badass. Like, you felt the energy in there. And, you know, the uniforms suddenly look a lot cooler. Like, those little touches might seem dumb, but if, that, if the team starts winning and all of a sudden this place starts to feel, like, cool again, I guarantee you this will be one of the hottest uh, teams in the NFL. It's got all of those little kind of, nuanced factors and now it just needs that you know that one sort of big one which is winning yeah and the video department does a great job of putting out these little yeah. clips and videos and so much cool That's stuff right. around the team so and much cooler it, it's yeah. it's amazing it's really fun for a fan to see all that stuff like for instance today they, they recorded that video of ryan Tannehill coming back onto the practice field and it's just like yeah. dolphins twitter is going crazy over it so pretty fun to see i think it was i want to say quentin nelson said that Hard Rock Stadium last year, coming in as an Irish playing, uh, fighting Irish playing the Hurricanes, said it was the loudest stadium he'd ever played in in his college career. Yeah, that's it's a, awesome. Uh, that's that's a such a. I compliment. went to, uh, and I'll tell you, like I went to, I saw um, U two when they were here. Oh yeah, uh, in the stadium, and I remember like looking around, I was sitting like kind of in those, and they got those like cool seats and stuff in the club section, and like looking around, like it was such a cool vibe that like. Like, I mean, it was just awesome and it was loud and cool and just this energy. And like, if you have those night games where the dolphins are like the shit, it it will, that will be a huge, uh, a huge factor in sort of, I think, getting them to the next level. And, uh, I mean, like you think about that Monday night game against the Patriots, Mm -hmm. that was it. Like, if you want to, if you want to look at something, I remember talking to some people after the game about that. Um, some of the executives, like, if you want to take a moment and like say, this is what this can be, that was it. The energy in that place with that win and, um, you know, the star power, like, you know, uh, you know, Jeter hanging out and Lawrence Taylor and, you know, all these, all these, these big dudes coming in, like that will be, it will be the hottest ticket in town. And, and, uh, and I think that, um, then all of a sudden it, it will also be one of the loudest as well. We have, we'd have a justifiable orange carpet finally. Yeah. Let's, I mean, that doesn't exist anymore. So, that's <laughs> yeah. <cool>. so <laughs> well, Jeff, you may have answered my last question here in that last bit there, but you know, kind of on Sunday nights, it's become a ritual for me to, I watch the games, I digest it all, I'll do the podcast and then I'll watch sports center or, or whatever it is and see your, your post game live hit on sports center. And you're in a new stadium every Sunday. So I have to ask you, which one is your favorite to cover a game in? Ooh. Um, well, I'll tell you the one that just jumped out when you said that um, Seattle is a really... So Seattle, like, I, rem- I remember, for instance, like, 
the NFC Championship game a few years ago when they won it, uh, when they ended up winning the Super Bowl. Uh, that NFC Championship game was the coolest NFL atmosphere I've ever been in. Like, at the end of that game, I remember standing there, and, like, this is going to sound cheesy, but, like, Macklemore, um, you know, douchey as he might be, uh, <laughs> has some pretty fun music that will get a crowd going. Uh, and admit it, you would enjoy it, too, if you were in that moment. Uh, I might have like to store download on my, on my Apple Pop. In Macklemore, Seattle guy, is standing right there with his whole crew and they're bouncing up and down and the place is going berserk. And like, that was, that was where, you know, like kind of what I was talking about with the dolphins where they could get to like, that was, that was awesome. Um, and they have a uh, barista in the, uh, because it's home of Starbucks in the press box. So that makes it pretty cool too. Oh, very uh, But, and then I would say like Denver's a pretty cool place to cover a game. Um, uh, like Dallas is cool, but, and it, it's, it's, it's got all that swank and stuff, but it's, I don't know. It, it feels a little too much like a, like a five-star hotel than an NFL stadium to me. Yeah. And I would say my favorite stadium is um, Minnesota. That new stadium there is, is amazing. Yeah. So I've, I've be... heard, I've heard it's pretty incredible. Uh, Jeff, before I let you go here, I got to put your feet to the fire. We've talked a lot about the team already. What would you, what are your expectations for the season? Oh, I'm terrible at this. <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm not going to give you like a record or anything like that, but I would say that the people who felt like they should trust Gase after the first year, but might've had that faith sort of rocked a little bit this past year. Um, I would say to those people that um, Gase is the right guy. And I would say that the reason for that is not simply that I'm dismissing this past season, but actually sort of um, uh, including it from the standpoint that I think Gase learned a lot this past year and that he was able to weather it and survive it and get sort of another shot at this, um, I think will go a long way. So uh, if he can continue to find the, if he can, if he can continue to, to pinpoint the kind of players he needs and gets the front office, um, whether that's Greer or Tannenbaum, to find those players, I think that this team is, is, is going to get there. Um, Raekwon McMillan would be my breakout star to watch. I think that guy is going to be an absolute beast. Um, and I think Ryan Tannehill is going to be uh, a really, really good player this year. It feels like so I'll try, I'll try to. I'm trying to like understate because I'm always the optimist and I know that there's a lot of people down here probably would say they're tired of hearing me say this kind of stuff. So I'll chill out on it, but I would say that, um, I I do think Gase is the right guy. Well, I was going to say, it sounds like you want to say double digit wins. No, I don't want to say that. (laughs) Honestly, like in completely, complete honesty, like, like if you're, I would not say that. (laughs) Like even me being the optimist, I'd say like nine wins. I got to try Jeff. I got to (laughs) try. Again, he he is Jeff. Hey, Lower expectations are not a bad thing. Like, yeah, it's, of course. It's, it's always better to surprise than it is to fall short. I yeah. think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, Dolphins fans can certainly appreciate. You'll go through, like, tw- uh, Twitter threads and just see that the general perception is so down right now. I've never seen it this low, except going back to 20, 2007, like we talked about at the top of the show. Well, uh, by the way, um, I mean, I saw our own power, whatever there are, some quarterback power rankings 
I, I think they were ESPN.com. So I, I probably shouldn't say too much about them. <laughs> but I can disagree, though. I mean, yeah. the fact that, like, Ryan was, I think, 28th on there mm-hmm. was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, ridiculous. Outrageous. Like, the fact that he is taking – I mean, I get it if you're trying to just do body of work. But, like, just like players don't get paid on what they've done, they get paid on what they're going to do. Like, I think that you're crazy if you're just looking at Ryan based on the past few years and don't think that he his, his arc is – Trending upward, but like you said, uh, there's people. I, I mean, I, I know there's a lot of people that do follow him closely and, and are frustrated by him, but I think more so the people who watch him the closest would be the ones to, that that probably have the most optimistic outlook on him. So, but what the hell do I know? Uh, Rex Grossman is my favorite player of all time. <laughs> Perfect way to end it. I appreciate that, Jeff. Once again, he is Jeff Gallington of ESPN. You can catch him on NFL Countdown, NFL Live, and SportsCenter. You can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Garlington. Jeff, thanks again so much for joining me today, man. No problem. Thanks for having me, bud. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.